going to be good. Love Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind, in your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ, in memory of my sister, Marcia Joyce, and this is going to be so cool. From freezing Westchester, where it's about 12 degrees and we've got lots of snow, we're going to talk to the author of Things that last forever, and hopefully the snow won't last forever, too. Hopefully. So, lies and betrayals come to light, and sometimes endings are new beginnings. Characters that are tough, a police detective who must decide between morals and ethics, or true justice, his own brand, of course, as the ending reveals a startling revelation. The character is Vic Lenowski, and what's his destiny? But will things last forever? And I'd like to say good morning to Peter W.J. Hayes. Good morning and welcome to MJ Network. Great. Good morning. Hi, and uh, glad to be here. Me too. (laughs) So I didn't have the honor of reading your other books, so could you give everybody a little history about Vic? He's really a cool character, got to tell you. I like him. Yeah. Um, well, let me. This the third book, "The Things That Last Forever," is uh, really the last book of a trilogy, and uh, all three books were designed sort of to lead up to the third book. And mm. the beginning, in the beginning, there's a. Um, each book has a separate mystery that has to be solved. It's a murder mystery. Vic is a mm-hmm. uh, bureau of police, Pittsburgh bureau of police uh, detective, and uh, he's usually faced with a homicide he has to solve. But all three, overall, through the three books, there's uh, the question of what happened to Vic's missing daughter. And if you sort yeah. of work your way through the books, what you discover is in book one, it's really a story about Vic coming to grips with the fact that he's going to have to investigate. He's um, almost scared to uh, face what's happened. Um, in the second book, and at the end of the first book, he managed to actually develop some clues because the police, has, the police have failed to come up with any reason um, on, about what happened to his daughter or where she might be. Um, but he comes up with some clues that are uh, connected to the uh, murder mystery that he solves in the first book. In the second book, he starts tracking those clues, and at the end of the second book, um, he faces a sort of a decision he has to make on the fly – um, mm. whether to chase somebody who he's fairly sure is knows exactly what happens to his daughter or save his partner and um, that he which he managed and he makes a choice there and then this this third book is really about um, him tracking down Cora stills who's this one character that uh, mm. he uh, knows what happens to his daughter yeah, I don't like her at all to be honest oh. um, yeah she's a piece of work <laughs> Well, you know, you see, my niece's name is Danny. She's my favorite person, one of my favorite people. So when I heard that the missing daughter was Danny, I called Danny to make sure she was missing too. I go like, oh, my God. So tell us about why his wife 
and he are separated. And how does this relate to Danny? Yeah, um, that really started in the first book. And what had happened was in the first book, there was actually some backstory that I um, don't really clearly get to till the third book. But um, what happened was uh, after Danny disappeared, Vic, of course, wasn't allowed to work on the case because it was a conflict, a conflict of interest. So he was forced into a sideline role, which gave him too much time to think about and worry about and wallow in what was going on. And like I said, he had a hard time accepting what happened, where mm. his wife was, um, um, Anne was more pr- uh, pragmatic. And um, when it became clear through the investigation that they weren't going to find Danny, she started to, um, she started to accept that fact, and she wanted, uh, she wanted a way to grieve. But Vic was, was sort of just stuck, and um, he couldn't decide whether he, he accepted that. He couldn't decide whether he wanted to investigate. He was scared of what he was going to find. And um, mm. in that first book, he was drinking heavily. Um, he was acting irrationally. And during the course of that, um, his wife Anne decided to leave him, uh, mainly because he came home drunk one night and left uh, his, service, his service weapon on the bedside table. And they'd always had a rule about he had to not bring, that, um, not bring it upstairs or into the house. Mm. So, um, uh, so between those two things, how they were both handling it differently, his heavy drinking and his unwillingness to accept it, um, uh, what had happened, uh, she finally left. And then two-thirds of the way through the first book, something uh, – so they were separated at that point. She moved back in with her mother. Mm. And uh, two-thirds of the way through the book, she came into the house and discovered something that made it even more difficult for them to get back together again, which I won't go into the details of that, but um, – so uh, really, starting with book one, they're separated, but it's very clear by book three, he does want to get back together with her. And by the way, one of the things that happens in book one is that Vic sorts himself out. He decides he's going to investigate. He stops drinking and he cleans up his act, which is uh, so in terms of the character arc in book one, it's really about Vic coming to grips with who and what he was and what he wants to do. Now I have a tough question that I didn't put on my list. Is this the last we hear of him? I hope not. Vic? Uh, no. Uh, as it turns out, Level Best, who's my publisher, has asked me to do, uh, th- has uh, sent me a contract, and they want me to do three more books. So we're turning this into a series. Um, it, this is good. Problem. I'm glad to hear it, because we, yeah. can, we, yeah. we can't get rid of him yet. He's got a lot more to deal right. with, I decided. See, I, see, I know these No, he things. does. <laughs> he I does. usually catch on... Um, <laughs> Now, this is probably one of the hardest decisions that somebody has to make. When you're going after a suspect like Cora Stills, who's horrible, um, how do you know he chooses between his partner and letting the suspect go free? Um, The suspect created is an arsonist, so he let her go free. Why? Not that I blame him, because, you know, you you, you can only do what you can do. Right, and that was really where he came out. I, I think Vic, and I, I addressed this at the beginning of the third book, um, somebody asks him exact, pretty much that question at the beginning of the third book, and the best he can come up with is the sense that uh, Cora Stills is most likely the suspect who knows what happens to his daughter, but he doesn't know that for a fact. And his uh, partner, is in, uh, for, uh, given some circumstances, is, is in danger. And he has to make a choice between chasing Cora or going to the aid of his partner. And I think instinctively 
he, uh, as I put it in the as I put it in the third book, he just does what's in front of him. He's got an immediate problem he has to deal with, so he does that. And it's a very um, that all of this happens at the very end of the second book, and it's a very difficult and on the spot decision he has to make. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately the right decision. Well, he's a lot like me, because if there's a decision to be made, I'm not going to stop it. I'll think about it, research it, and just do it. And don't sit and worry about it. you got to just do what you got to do. Yeah, that's why I like this guy. So, Vic is, is a police detective on a mission to find Carl Stills, so she's evil, people. Who does he ask for help, and who is Kent Bauer, and what does he do to help him? Because the guy's going to need all the help he can get to get this one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, like I said, at the end of the second book, um, uh, Vic was given, um, uh, sorry, at the end of the first book, Vic was given um, by somebody who he helped in a murder investigation, he was given some leads, potentially leads, he doesn't know. And what happened was about the, uh, at almost the same time his daughter disappeared, uh, three strippers who worked in local strip joints also disappeared. And um, what happens is he starts to investigate those the disappearance of those three women as a sideline. And through the course of that, he meets several people. And one of the people he meets, who um, in time becomes, uh, uh, it turns out, is a friend of Coruscant's. It turns out that her husband is Kent Bauer. And um, in, the beginning of the, in the beginning of the third book, when he's talking to uh, this woman who is the friend of Coruscant's, but now he's searching for Coruscant's, um, she implicates her own um, ex-husband, Kent Bauer, and explains that he's now in North Dakota. He worked in the fracking industry. Fracking is very large in, North Dakota, in, in western Pennsylvania, and it's also very large in North Dakota, and his company moved from western Pennsylvania to North Dakota. And she implicates him. Now, that might not be enough because she had personal reasons for wanting to um, get some revenge on him. But um, mm. in the course of his own uh, investigation in the third book, he also discovered that um, a male had helped Cora Stills um, move some things, and he starts to think that um, that might be Kent Bauer. So he decides that um, he should really find, at least talk to Kent Bauer and find out what's going on, and he's in North Dakota, which leads to, which becomes yeah. one of the reasons that he's in North Dakota. Well, he goes to North Dakota, right? But being very honest, I did not like his boss crush. He was not very good. He did not support him. How come Vic is not one of his favorite detectives? I mean, he's just trying to do his job the right way, and this guy was like a roadblock everywhere. did not like this man at all. Yeah, Crush um, Crush is an interesting character, and I tried to sort of redeem him in the third book. In the, in the first couple of books, um, in the first book, when um, Vic was drinking a lot, he was showing up late, he was being arrogant, and yeah. um, he and his boss just did not get along. And I should point out that um, Crush is the nickname of, uh, his, of his boss, and there's a story behind how he got that nickname. Mm-hmm. But um, what, happened, what happened was uh, uh, Crush is really very ambitious and worries about um, looking good in front of his own superiors, and he worries about not having anybody um, breaking procedure. And Vic, as he starts to uh, move very quickly, is a guy who doesn't really worry as, as much about procedure and really wants to get to the bottom of the case and the truth about the case. Um, so they just have not, from a personality side, um, uh, got along very well. 
But I have to admit, by the third book, um, having a boss like that in a police procedural is fairly common. And um, I tried to bring around the point that Crush actually was very thorough investigator himself. And even when he was running um, the, the initial search for Vic's daughter, he was actually very thorough. And um, Vic starts to realize that as he goes through, as he goes back through the documents created during the um, the um, initial investigation for his daughter, that um, really Crush left no stone unturned. He put all the resources he could against it. He tried very hard. And somewhere in the third book, Vic starts to realize that he may have not um, he may have not given Crush all the due he needed. And and actually, the resolution of the third book comes to depend on Crush. Uh, actually bending mm-hmm. procedure a little bit and playing along with Vic um, in a certain circumstance, and he does that. So while um, uh, Crush really is somebody who's ambitious, he wants to look good in front of his superiors, and that's really mm-hmm. his main concern. He wants to rise through the organization. Um, but he and Vic, by the end of the third book, do work out a relationship where, and Vic does have a grudging respect for uh, the fact that uh, Crush does respect and support his detectives. Yeah, well, I I interviewed three detectives yesterday. We talked about this actually. Oh. Was it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was in, we were honoring men and women in blue. It was one of my Great. ideas for a panel show. And yeah, he they do say a lot of times that they have like you know differences of opinions and how things and how the upper echelon whatever. But the one question I didn't really you know a lot of times in the book I just read, the police are corrupt, totally corrupt and. Um, they're trying to do something, and the people higher up tell them to cover it up. Thank God that's not the case everywhere. So, arriving in North Dakota, he's met by someone, who and why, and this is an odd pairing. How do they find the common ground, and who is this person that he meets when he gets there? Yeah, I have to, I have to give a little background on that. Um, uh, oh, good. Yeah, Vic, uh, yeah. <laughs> Vic has a friend who appears in all three of the books. And his name is, he's a private investigator, and his name is Levon Grace. And um, he and, uh, uh, and Levon has become uh, the love interest of Vic's partner, Liz Timmons. So um, uh, they're, they're pretty tight. And, um, uh, and Levon is ex-military. He was in Iraq. He was in Iraq. And uh, there's a whole backstory on him. And actually, I just finished a standalone novel uh, called oh, nice. um, You Tell Me. That's about it's sort of the backstory on Levon and the origin story of how Levon and, and Vic become friends. And um, what happened was, uh, as, as Vic is preparing to go to North Dakota, um, he's been talking to Levon, and Levon has helped give him a lead in North Dakota on where Cora Stills might be. And um, and and Levon also says, you know, by the way, I know some people out there. And he explains that um, there's some Lakotas who live on the um, Standing Rock Reservation, mostly in South Dakota, but although it does extend into North Dakota, and Vic says, "Well, that's nowhere near I'm go- where I'm going," and um, and they sort of leave it at that. But when Vic arrives at the mm. airport, it, um, what happens is there's somebody waiting for him, uh, Jimmy Pronghorn, mm. who turns out to be a Hidatsa Indian who's from the uh, the local res- reservation there, and um, mm. he's. Been He's been asked by um, Levon's friend, uh, the Lakota Indian, to um, to actually meet uh, Vic and show him around. And to begin with, they don't really get along. Um, mm. uh, Jimmy 
is sort of a taciturn guy. He's not very talkative, although he's very well read. And he actually drops some literary illusions at the beginning that Vic could just go right over Vic's head. <laughs> Vic doesn't have the educational mm-hmm. background um, that Jimmy does. And um, but they they it turns out they're both very honest people, and I think they find some common ground there. And mm-hmm. um, they start to sort of work, develop a working relationship, and develop and develop a grudging respect. And um, before long, they uh, they actually get get into some trouble. And the two the two of them handle each other um, handle it very well. And I think that helps also cement them uh, the the relationship. And they become uh, they become friends is the the short answer to it. And um, I also was that trying is- in that. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's okay. Yeah, I was also, uh, between Levon's friend at the Standing Rock Reservation and Jimmy Pronghorn, I was also trying to point out a difference within um, uh, the reservations, which is there, there, are some, um, uh, there, are, there are some natives who took part in the pipeline protests, and there's also some who work on the council, their, their tribal council, like Jimmy Pronghorn, who are sort of more, you sort of got a, a, a radical element and you've got a more uh, traditional element. And um, uh, and I was trying to make a point there uh, about those about those two, and that plays out in the book in terms of the actions uh, that people take later on in the book. I'm just adding some questions as I'm talking. This is a bad trade, I know. <laughs> so tell us about the chief and his son, and what kind of business is you and in, and why the monopoly? I don't like monopolies. Yeah. Um, what happens is uh, the police chief um, is uh, the chief of a local town. It's really a boom town that's grown thanks to the fracking industry, which is a. And I, I went up and visited um, before I wrote, uh, before I was really get, got going on the book. And um, mm. it's fascinating what's up there because there's a great deal of poverty. And then as you drive around, especially in the area where the fracking's been done, it's just miles and miles of wellheads. And at night, it's just there's um, exhaust flames lighting up the sky. I mean, it, it's really quite a um, – uh, if you drive up around there and take a look, it's, um, uh, it's, it's sort of a stunning um, countryside, what's been done to it. Um, and in that boom town, the police chief, his last name is Fleck, um, he's been in place for a number of years, and he has a son, Ewan. And um, what happened is, as the frackers have come in and the boom town's grown, it's created a lot of opportunities to take advantage of things that are on the other side of the, sec- the other side of the law. And the police chief is—he's um, not a straight-up uh, corrupt individual, but he is somebody who can never say no to his son, and that's created a, um, some protection for his son Ewan Fleck, who um, really is sort of the local, um, for lack of a better term, uh, the local mob head who's been involved in prostitution, trafficking, and drugs because they're servicing, they're, they're servicing all of the, um, uh, the workers, the temporary workers who come up to work on the wells. Uh, so the pipeline workers and the, uh, the well workers and all of those and the support groups that uh, support all of them. And the chief, along with the local town council, have found ways to manipulate all of these companies that are coming into work so that by using, uh, through the use of permits or canceling permits, uh, drilling permits and those kinds of things to basically mm. keep them on the straight and narrow and keep them uh, using 
Uniflex um, false front company that services the uh, the, uh, the wells. So tell so us they've about. Really taken advantage, they've taken advantage I, of the boomtown and uh, and really mm. are make, trying to make as much money as they can. That's not uncommon, is it? Then people do that. No, although I I will say um, uh, it is it is fiction. <laughs> No, I, I found no record going through newspaper articles. I know I found no no truth in uh, any of that. So that I so I just made it up for the purpose of the book. It sounded real. You know, you I picked up your book when I finally got it. By the way, I know Cheryl's listening. Hi, Cheryl. Um, there's a whole bunch of books in April and May that I didn't get yet. The post office doesn't deliver too much too often here. Yesterday I delivered five books and I was a happy girl. And I just actually I read Condition Black. Which is for April. I read it. Yet. I read it this morning. I just sat down and read it, and it sort of cheers me up. <laughs> just to read some, but I just sat down and read your book two in two hours. Seriously, wow. and couldn't put it down. Yeah, it's it's rare lately that I've been giving five stars, but your five stars are on Amazon. I put it on this morning. It's there, and they loved it. So tell us what happened to Danny. Tell us about Resin Dawn and how does she help people in trouble. Because this is this is a serious issue that you bring up with with these young girls. Um, well, Danny, uh, Vic's daughter. Um, uh, I I, I kind of don't want to go too far into this because it no, don't get too far. No. Yeah, it, but what happens is it is a situation of of um, trafficking, and yeah. what happened is the the trick that what what leads um, Vic to this is the realization. That uh, the four, the three strippers and Danny all had different colored hair, and what that made him realize was that, um, and his and his wife was actually helpful in, in this because she noticed she noticed things like this, um, mm-hmm. was that um, uh, that had to be that had to, that couldn't have been a coincidence, which meant that somebody was filling an order, for lack of a better way to say it. So, and that's what put him onto the idea that this must be trafficking and, and gave him a sense of what to look for. And I should point out that when uh, the fracking industry developed in North Dakota, they did have a trafficking and prostitution issue um, up there because what happened was they had a, a huge influx of male workers and it's a very rural area. And suddenly there was, um, they had an, a, 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 quite a few problems with exactly that, that issue, so, which is why I used it and which is why I used it in the book and part of the reason why. Um, uh, I, I use North Dakota. This is really scary so I, because I that's, that a, that's, that's a common that's issue that's not going to go away, is it? It's always going to be there no, between drug trafficking and sex trafficking and human trafficking. Right. There's no way that that's going to go away, is there? No. So. That's scary. And I should so point out that, that was part of Vic's that was part of Vic's concern in the first book when Danny disappeared. Yeah. I mean, as a police officer, he knew what the truth was likely to be. And he just didn't really want to face it. So that was part of the reason why he was sort of stuck where he was and couldn't make a decision about what to do. A lot of people don't want to face it, but you have to face up to problems. Otherwise, they don't get solved. That's what my father taught me. And he also told me, don't count on anybody to do it for you. Do it yourself. That's me. Yep. That's good advice. Yeah, he said the only person you can count on for the rest of your life is the person whose face you look at in the mirror and it better be yours because you can't depend on anybody else. I learned that too. So, who is Susan, and what role does she play? Um, oh, 
Susan Susan Kim is uh, was one of the uh, strippers who dis- who disappeared, uh, who went missing mm. at about the time Danny did. And what happens is um, uh, she becomes um, uh, key to sort of how the crime gets solved um, mm. uh, at the end, and is heavily involved. There's a fairly significant plot twist right at the end, and she's very involved in that. So, um, and I guess that's, I wouldn't want to say more than that because it would give away a lot. No, we can't. I, I would say Susan, yeah, I would say Susan Kim's an interesting character in that um, her parents were Korean immigrants. Um, they, came to the, they came to the U.S., and uh, Susan actually was very well educated, but she had a ton of debt. So she actually became a stripper just simply as a way to pay off, to help pay off her student loans. And she was... Before she went missing, she was about to get a job at Carnegie Mellon University um, in their statistics department. So the point was that, um, uh, you know, I was trying to make a point here about the um, really student debt and the, the, what that does to people, because that's a, that's a bugbear of my own. But anyway. Well, what other agencies did you have to bring in besides Vic and the police department? Do they bring in FBI or anybody else in order to help find a, a, vict- a kidnapped victim? Um, the, yeah, there are some other agencies mentioned. The FBI is brought in, but that uh, Vic brings them in as part of a ruse. Um, uh, Cora Stills, who is the person that he's um, sure is the yeah. key suspect in all of this, it turned out that she had a history when she was in the military, and it involved um, the smuggling of African artifacts. She, Af- African artifacts. She was based in Mogadishu for a while. And um, what happened is he sees some of those in her house, and um, NCIS is very interested in uh, tracking her down because uh, they've got some uh, issues around and they need to recover those artifacts. And um, <clears throat> the way NCIS works it is they actually work in conjunction with the FBI. So uh, Vic has some interaction with the, both NCIS to get kicked this off and then with the um, uh, FBI when they're brought in by NCIS. Um, and I should also point out that um, uh, Vic becomes friends with uh, Carl um, Sorensen, who's um, mm-hmm. an investigator of the North Dakota State Police, and um, who's investigating a murder that uh, Vic uncovers when he's up there and when he's in North Dakota. And um, so he's also he also has some input with the um, North Dakota State Police. That that is interesting, you know, because I always I read I read so many books. I lost count of how many. That some of them, you know, would have interagency strife and into you know, even departmental strife problems where you know even partners don't work well together. So, right. What is what happens when they find Cora? Is she cooperative? How is she as a per? How would you describe her? I don't like her at all. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I don't want to. I don't want to go and I don't want to give too much away. But no, you don't want to talk about Cora, too much. But she, you don't want to make yeah, her an she's enemy. Uncooperative. Let's leave it at that. She's uncooperative, <laughs> and um, it's a real problem for Vic because he. That means that really his last best lead is gone, and I think that's mm. when he really hits rock bottom throughout all of this. Um, he's just um, at that point he realizes he's probably never going to know. And he knows if he goes back and talks to Anne, his wife, and says, you know what, I went up there and couldn't find anything out, that most likely they'll end up divorced and that there won't be any chance for reconciliation. 
So mm. it's um, so not only does he lose any chance of actually finding out what might have happened to Danny and bringing some closure there, um, he also knows that that most likely is the end of his marriage. Um, and it's also a failure on his part as an investigator because he's keenly aware that while he was in the first book, while he was drinking and trying to decide what to do, that he lost time and leads. Um, you know, he, he, should have been, he should have been on it right from the beginning, and he knows that. So um, uh, when he really can't get any information out of Cora, what happens is he really hits rock bottom, um, mm. which leads to an interesting reversal. So, Is it usual for someone whose daughter is part of the case to investigate the case? Wouldn't they have somebody else do it? Um, well, exactly. That was why he wasn't involved in the case in the first book, because it's a conflict of interest. They can't have somebody who's that emotionally involved. And that was part of the problem. He got pushed off to the side, and he had friends who were giving him updates, and his partner had pushed her way into the investigation and, um, and was taking part. So he had a sense of what was going on, and, some pe- and people were slipping him stuff. But he, because he wasn't involved and couldn't take part, he really um, – uh, that that was part of what contributed to his to uh, him starting to drink a lot, and um, mm-hmm. is the fact that um, he really um, died with his wife. It's not unusual, though, for that to happen, is it? A lot of officers have that problem, don't they? Or a lot of other people have that problem, where they can't face something, so they drink away their you know fear, their fears or their problems and they figure they can hide behind the bottle and that doesn't do anything does it just makes it worse no it doesn't right it makes it worse and that's what he figures out in the first book so what happens is the reason he can start investigating in the third book is that he's been doing it on the side in the second book um when he had a break at work he'd he'd actually go and, and investigate these three strippers who disappeared uh, at the same time as Danny but, um, but by the third book, he's actually on medical leave after what happened at the end of the second book. So he just decides mm. to go uh, to, to chase Cora as best he can. Um, and he knows that there's um, a, uh, a task force looking for Cora, but he doesn't care. He just basically decides to do it. He decides to go after it on his own. And then he, decide, then he discovers, one of the things he discovers early on is that the, through, through political manipulation, the task force that is supposed to be looking for Cora really isn't it. The person who's been put in charge is a rookie, a rookie detective who really doesn't have the experience, yeah. and they haven't given him resources. So what happened is they've, they've really kind of sort of back, uh, back burner that, um, uh, that investigation, and there's a, there's a logic and a backstory to that which um, uh, is touched on uh, throughout the book. So Vic, who's on medical leave, now he's got time on his hands. He's starting to feel better after a, a several days' stay in the hospital. So he then starts to um, uh, do the investigation himself. So it's really on his own time. That, that's, that's, that's amazing. But that happens a lot. I know that. That officers, you know, they feel responsible. It's, it, it's their case. It's their family. And yet they know that they're not supposed to do something. So Cora is an arsonist, right? She likes to set fires. Is that what she did? Is that her mo? Um, uh, it's not really her. Um, it's not really her mo. It's uh, but she did what in did this circumstance. Um, yeah. Well, she worked. Well, for instance, her backstory is that she was in the uh, uh, she was in the military for a number of years working in logistics, which is how she was able to um, uh, manage the theft of uh, artifacts, African artifacts, and get them back to the United States. 
Um, and then what happened is from there she worked a number of jobs. She worked temporarily at, um, the at one of the strip clubs, which is how she came into contact with the strippers who disappeared. And, you know, that's one of the key discoveries for Vic, that she's really at the center of this. She then um, uh, was fired from her job at the strip club, and um, she worked for a time at a, um, a granite and tile company, and then just, um, and then that was when Vic was catching up to her, and um, she realized what was going on, and she was actually tipped off, it turns out, that Vic and, and his partner were closing in on her. And that's when she decides to set fire to her house and and, um, and run and uh, and escape. Well, that's how mine is to escape, and nobody can find where she is. And she's sort of like deadly. And if you meet her, probably somebody like that, would they justify their actions? Would they say, you know, I did it because of whatever, or they just did it because they wanted to? Somebody um, like her. They well, I think for a lot of the reason, for a lot of what she did early on, it was just simply a way to make money, and she was just looking for an advantage in how to make money. But the trafficking component of her job is actually related, and I talk about it later in the book. She feels a great debt to you and Fleck for something that they all went through in high school. And when he approaches her, because he knows they've stayed in touch, he knows she's working the strip club. And, and explains that he needs to he needs um, he wants to bring he wants to traffic some women for prostitution that um, she owes a debt to him and so mm. she's willing to do that and make some money along the way and I think that's what really I I don't think she might have done it just for money but I think given the fact that she also owes a debt to you and uh, she's willing to do that and Ewan knows that um, so he he sort of takes advantage of the circumstances. So it, it took sort of both motivations. It wasn't just money or just because she, you know, liked to do this kind of thing. There was she really felt some uh, very serious loyalty to you and uh, for something they went through in high school. That's sort of like the wrong kind of loyalty. Seriously speaking, these people that that take these girls for sex trafficking and they make a lot of money for them, they have absolutely no remorse. How would they feel if it was one of their children that got kidnapped for that? Oh, I, yeah, I, I can't. Like I said, they have no remorse about it, and I think they'd be. I think as any parent would be, they'd be um, uh, angry and you know frustrated and everything else. So um, and wouldn't want it to happen. But I think at the same time, there's something there that they just really don't care about. Uh, yeah. You know, if it's not somebody they know, they don't care. So. This, this is this is they know. There's a lot of that in this world. Let me tell you. I won't tell you why, but yep. there's a lot of that in this world. So Vic has his own idea of how to solve the problem. How did you come up with his idea of how to solve the problem without telling anybody how he solved it? Yeah, he solved it. <laughs> yeah don't, give me a tough, don't give me a tough way to begin. Well, I think what happened was, if, I, if you remember earlier, I was talking about the fact that when um, uh, Cora Stills, he can't get any information out of Cora Stills. He's at rock bottom. He doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So he has to come up with he has to come up with something, and um, uh, it it occurs to him that if he can get Ewan to implicate himself, then what he could do is um, in, in some way, then what he could do is he could then turn the investigation over to the North Dakota State Police and force their hand. So he's still thinking like a police officer at this point. You know, he wants a legal resolution to this. And um, so he comes up with a way, um, a plan 
to, to um, and it's really based on everything he's discovered at that point. He sort of he sort of takes all the facts he's discovered about the case and then turns them around and uses them as a uh, as a ruse or a trick um, mm. uh, to to get Ewan to implicate himself in what has happened. And if he can do that, then mm. he can take that information to um, Kurt, the uh, North Dakota State policeman. And sort of drop it on his desk and say, okay, you've got to investigate because he's implicated himself. And then at that point, the North Dakota State Police can put together a task force and they can start bugging phones and they can, they can really go after um, you in a logical way. Um, and that, that's his initial plan. But, of course, as things turn out, it, um, it doesn't quite play out that way. But, um, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. It doesn't play out that way. But that's, that was his initial goal. So Vic was still at that point thinking through, how can mm-hmm. I do this in a way that um, will bring you into justice in a traditional legal law enforcement way? And, that's, and his trick is to try and get uh, Ewan to implicate himself. So. Before I forget, and I don't want to forget, Tuesday. Yep. This is exciting. John Land will be here with... He just picked up the Margaret Truman Capital Murders, Murder on the Metro. Outrageously great. And on the 18th, we have the Bartender's Guide. Now, what's unusual about this novel is I don't drink ever. The only thing I drink is coffee, black coffee, and water. That's it. Uh, but there's, there's exotic drinks at the end of every chapter. For those of you that want to know, they're really good. It's different for those people that want to try it. On the 22nd, Forgiving Stephen Redmond, Alan Zendransky will be here. And on the 24th, I am so excited. Hopefully it will happen. Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child have agreed to an interview with me for Scorpion's Tale. That is, like, so exciting. And they're really great. Uh, last Thursday, I interviewed Iris Johansson for Blink of an Eye, and she's amazing, too. On the 1st, uh, the author of Altima's Travels, and New York Times author Brian Freeman with Finite. It's scary, really scary. So that's what's coming up, and there's a whole lot more. Uh, For those of you out there that want an interview, talk to me in August. Everything is booked up until August 12th. I just took another one. So I'm excited. So how do you keep – this is a question I've asked other authors, John Land, Alan Topol, Dick Belsky, all of them, Um, Charles Salzberg. How do you keep a character in series interesting so that everybody wants to know more about Vic? How do you keep it different? Because, you know, I'm reading one now. I won't tell you what it is. And it's a famous author, and I started to read it, and I'm like, oh, dear, it's just another police procedure with the same characters. Not that I'm not going to like it. It's just after a while you get, oh, my God, not again. So how do you keep it interesting with Vic that people are going to want him to come back? That's why I want him to come back, too. Yeah, I, I think, um, uh, well, like I said, it, it, after, this, after this third book, it's very obvious that there's a natural break there. And, um, uh, and what will happen is, with the, as I turn it into a series, is that Vic is going to take a different kind of job, um, not a PI, but he's gonna, it'll be in law enforcement. And, oh, nice. Uh, one of the characters, yeah, and one of the characters who's shown up in a couple of the books um, who he has a, is going to bring him back. And uh, um, so she'll be a recurring character. Um, I think the key to it is, uh, at least for me at least, because in some ways I have to keep this interesting for myself (laughs) as well as I'm writing them. 
but I think that Vic has to continue to develop. I mean, uh, one of the things is, I, you know, I read sometimes uh, series that have gone eight or nine books or longer, and the, the main character just, it's sort of every time I read it, it's the same character, and they're yeah. solving a murder mystery. And you can make the murder mystery interesting. That's, that's, um, I think that's part of it. So you have to have an interesting uh, murder mystery for, uh, for the uh, detective to solve. But I think the main character still needs to have some kind of a development arc. And um, in the first book, that was very clear. And it's also clear by the end of the third book. I mean, Vic's views on uh, law enforcement and justice have changed fairly dramatically by the end of the third book. And I'll carry that into the, into the, uh, into the next book. Uh, in Vic's next book, but I think the challenge for me is going to be finding out how uh, Vic continues to develop and grow as, as a person, um, and where that takes him. And um, and I think there's some interesting questions about the relationship he'll have with his wife going forward. Um, you know, is there a chance for them to reconcile? And um, you know, what will their relationship be like now that they have reconciled? Because they both. Uh, been through very difficult circumstances. I mean, I can't imagine anything worse, uh, you know, than uh, some of what's ha- something close to what happened to their daughter. So, um, so I think between those two things, the key thing is to keep Vic interesting, developing as a character, um, and then that way, it's uh, I think it's interesting to the readers as well. And I, you know, and I think you know, readers invest in the character. They want to they want to sort of live vicariously to some extent through the characters they read, and. Um, uh, but you don't want a static character. You want somebody who's um, uh, learning and growing as they go. That's very true. There's another character I didn't bring in, but I really liked him, Charlie. Uh, Hello? Sorry, which character? Yeah, no, I like Charlie. Charlie, the kid. Oh, 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 okay. Um, Good. Okay. Well, he's one of the characters I like. Which characters are you bringing back in the next one? Um, well, like I said, Levon Grace will be around, and I said my next my next novel is about Levon Grace. But obviously, Vic will be around, as will uh, Liz Timmons, his partner. Um, uh, you know, Vic is going to work, come back in law enforcement. One of the things, one of the conditions for him to come back in law enforcement is he's going to basically say, "I need my partner, Liz Timmons, with me." So, and Anne will come back as well. And I mentioned the, um, uh, the, the, the character who brings them back is Hannah Richards. She's, um, when we first mm-hmm. met her in the, um, the first book, she's um, uh, a public defender. She's an assistant district attorney and public defender. And by the third book, um, and she helps Vic also in the second book. And in the third book, it turns out she's become a prosecutor. And um, mm. she's moved, shifted, she's shifted sides, and she's working directly for the DA now as a prosecutor. Um, and she's going to have uh, something of a career going forward, and she's the one who's going to be looking at Vic and saying, you know, I need you back. Because they've developed, uh, they trust one another. And um, uh, she's going to want him to uh, come back and work on some cases. That is amazing. So the next question is, how did you decide on the title of this book, Things That Last Forever? That That's a pretty strong title. 
Yeah, well, all three, all three of the books have um, uh, are similarly named. So the first one is the things that are different. Uh, uh, sorry, the first one is the things that aren't there. The second one is the things that are different, and this one is the things that last forever. And um, it actually goes back to uh, how Vic, um, in each of the novels, uh, sort of develops the key lead that helps him uh, solve the crime. And uh, it goes back farther than that to um, before I was a writer, I was um, a marketing executive. I spent a lot of time doing market research. And when you do market research analysis, one of the things you look for is, um, is you're looking at data and trying to understand and make sense out of the data. There's several things you look for. So one of them is you look for anything that's sort of um, that's different within the data, so the things that are different. Mm-hmm. You look for things that don't show up in the data when they're expected to, the things that aren't there, and you look for things that recur continually in the data, the things that last forever. So um, Vic, in my mind, has a fairly analytical mind, and um, he, even though he's never had formal statistical training, I think he works. Um, his mind works in a similar way. And when he's, when he's evaluating the facts of a case, he's looking for those types of things. So I named each of the books for um, uh, something that um, really helps him solve the crime. So, and the, the other thing with the first book, the things that aren't there, that's obviously a reference to Danny as well because she's missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and then the things that are different, um, uh, I mentioned earlier, he notices that the, um, with, with the help of um, Anna's wife, he notices that the, the four missing women all have different color hair, right, the things that are different, right, and this becomes a key to how he solves the crime. So the, and then this last one is the things that last forever, and the point I was trying to get to is that um, there's, uh, there's some things that, are, that uh, really are not bound by time. By time. It's, um, they're just always there, and it's, it's a truth that you have to get to, and that's part of Vic's journey to understand that, and it, it affects how he thinks about um, not so much the law of justice. That's what I was trying well, to get to there. That is interesting. The other thing is this. I just signed a contract for my new book with Atmosphere. Oh, great. It's weird. And I just got the highest compliment from a New York Times author that said not only did he love it, but he's going to give me a blurb for the back cover because he said it reminded right. him of the Twilight Zone. It's The title is po- uh, Population Zero, A World Without People. And for those people that read it, maybe you'll stop acting foolish. And this one, in the world that I created, you might not want to live there. Um, so how did you decide? The hardest thing is they asked me to send them samples of covers. And I said, that's why you're there, to pick it for me so I don't have to concentrate. But I did. How, do you pick, how did you pick the cover for this one? Did the publishing company do it or did you, especially that middle piece with the broken glass? Yeah, um, we actually, um, I knew when I started that we were going to do a trilogy. And um, just from, you know, for branding reasons, I just wa- I wanted some consistency in the cover for all, across all three books. So yeah. what we did was there's three photographs on the front. And um, uh, the top photograph has to do with the location where the, um, uh, it takes place. Um, the second one has to do with um, something involving the plot. And um, the, uh, the the shot through the the, uh, the bullet hole through glass obviously has something to do with the, uh, the third novel. And then um, the bottom one is a, uh, a pair of boxing. The bottom photograph is a pair of boxing gloves. 
which is a reflection of Vic's character. He was a golden gloves boxer. But the other thing is, it's just, um, uh, you know, I think when you get in the boxing ring, you can't hide anywhere. You know, it's, uh, um, and, you know, the truth of the circumstances is going to come out and the truth about who's the better person and everything else. So I thought that had a lot to do with this character. And we kept that one, that photograph was consistent across all three books. So um, that was how we, we, picked, we ended up picking those photographs. So there was a logic to it. And I really worked it out in conjunction with Level Best Books. Um, they, uh, I, I, you know, I thought Sean Riley Cinnamons, who, did, who I worked with on this, she, just, she did a great job. And she's a, she's a very good writer in her own in her own in her own work, and uh, but she did a great job with this. So. Yes, she did. That's what got me when they sent me the book. I go, oh, I got to read this really fast, especially with the title, because there's some things that I hope don't last forever. No, seriously, and some things that that you do. But you know what? I learned a long time ago that um, it doesn't matter what happens with people, whether they, you know, in general that you care about, their memories last forever, right? It doesn't matter. And that, that, that's, what, that's, that's basic sometimes. It doesn't matter. So are you bringing Jimmy back in the next book? Well, no. I like him. Um, I haven't decided what to do there. I did, I did write a short story with uh, Jimmy in it um, a couple of years ago. And honestly, I haven't found someone, I haven't found, I also write short stories and I've had a number published, but it's um, that particular one I haven't found a home for. Um, so I haven't, I haven't decided what to do with Jimmy. I'd like to bring him back. Um, and I kind of I like, like, I like, uh, him. You know, I like Charlie as well. Um, so um, I'd like to bring him back as well. So, um, I, I just need a way to do it because they're both set. They're both located in North Dakota. Although it had cur- occurred to me that Jimmy could sort of come through town at some point and visit Pittsburgh and catch up to Vic. And it, there might be a useful way to do that. I just haven't figured out how to do that. So, um, you have to kill somebody uh, off though. You're going to have to kill somebody. Yeah. That's wrong. I can give you a list if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> of people that have gotten me upset recently, you know, really. <laughs> what can I say? Um, are you gonna Are you gonna bring Crush back, right? Um, yeah, Crush will be around. Um, I'm. Uh, I, I think at some point he'll reappear. Yes. Um, uh, he's going to be more of a minor character. Like I said, Dick's going to have a new boss, and um, uh, but you know, Crush is somebody who may well move up through the. Uh, um, he, I think he's going to move. He's going to move up within the Pittsburgh Bureau of Police. You know, maybe at oh, some well. point, I haven't really thought about this, but maybe he ends up as police chief at some point or something like that, and Vic would interact with him again. So, um, uh, and like I said, I think by the third book, they have their differences, and they and some of it is style and personality, but they also do have a um, Vic does have a grudging respect for him. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think that I probably should do something with them because I think the interaction of the two of them would be pretty interesting to write about. So, um, actually, you bring up a good point. I really should bring it back. <laughs> I try so hard here. Um, the other thing is, before we end, what type of a boss is he going to get this time? Is he going to male or female one? And, you know, he, he has a – or maybe he should just be the boss and do his own way. Um, he's, yeah, he's going to have a female boss uh, going forward. Yeah. So, uh, and I said it's um, it's Hannah Richards, the um, uh, this person who was both a um, early on when he first met her in in the uh, second book was a um, 
a public defender and is, and is now in the, in the DA's office as a prosecutor. So um, uh, she's going to end up as his boss, although there might be a minimum, there might be a boss between them, but um, she's going to be ultimately be his boss. So uh, because her career is, is uh, taking off as well. So um, uh, and there, she's an interesting character. She's extremely intelligent, um, but she's absolutely dedicated to the law. So um, I think there's um, I think there's I think there's some there, there could be some good interactions between the two of them. And like I said, there's a mutual trust there. Well, how is Anne going to feel about that? Well, I think she'll having be fine a female cat, female boss, is she going to worry? Um, I don't think so. Um, uh, Anne is, uh, as I said, she is, as it becomes clear in, this, in the third book, she's developing her own career. She now works in the front office of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, she and mm-hmm. Vic are going to have to resolve where they are. And I think that their relationship going forward is going to be a much more mature relationship. Um, uh, but um, I, you know, I can't foresee a problem. Vic, by definition, is not a guy who uh, wanders. So um, uh, he's, you know, he's loyal to the people uh, that um, either he's married to or he works with that he trusts. So, um, you know, he's loyal that way. So I don't, and I think she would know that. And um, she understands that fundamentally he's a good guy. So um, uh, I think she, I think she'd trust him not to not to do something like that. He wouldn't. He never had to go to AA or any kind of counseling from the police department or anything as a result of what he did. Because he was drinking. Um, I, I haven't addressed it in my in my in my way of thinking. He would have to in real life. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, but I just didn't address it in the books. So. Well, but I'm sure you'll come up with it. When 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 is the standalone coming out, and when am I getting it? No, seriously, I got to keep you in my in my uh, file here. <laughs> I, my chair has 20 books on it. I don't know how, but yeah, last week there were five and. Book mail brought me a whole bunch of good stuff yesterday, a whole bunch of stuff that I yeah, really didn't I'm want hoping, to read. Yeah. I'm hoping it'll be out by the uh, end of the by the end of this year. So um, we'll have to see. I'm not quite sure of the publishing uh, schedule. So um, yeah, I know. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have to see how that goes. And and I'm just about probably next week I'll start writing the next Vic book. So um, that's kind of where we where I am. I, yeah, I thought well, that, I thought during the shutdown that I'd get a lot more work done, and it turned out that. I was actually really slow off the ball for the first few months. I really didn't get a lot of work done the first few months. Mm. So I'm kind of lagged. And I understand what you're saying. It took me forever just to sit down and write the first world I created. And I said, you know what? I just have to sit down and do it. And, yeah, I created a world without sun, a world with ice, a world with mist, and I won't say anymore. At the end of each world, I invited a dead person to come back and tell you what they're experiencing in the wacko worlds that I created. And I asked them at the end to ask the, the reader, would you like to live in this world or are you going to start straightening up in this one? It's different. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, like I just got a compliment from a New York Times author that said it reminds him of the Twilight Zone and he's going to give me a blurb for the black cover. So hopefully you don't know. We'll see. But it's the first time I've signed with an independent publishing company, Atmosphere Press, and the guy read it, and I emailed him, and half an hour later he said, you're on. I was like, you're kidding me. Wow. So we'll see. Yeah, I was surprised, very surprised, because, you know, you get rejections all over the place, and 
There was another company no, in England that said that they wanted it also, but it would take two years before they could get it out there. So I said, that doesn't help me. So before we close, um, where, where can, are you going to do, when this comes out, are you going to do another tour with Cheryl? Because they're the best. They, I do my tours with Cheryl, too. So when my book comes out, Cheryl, just make sure you have space for me. Seriously. <laughs> Well, yeah, I've been very happy with this tour. So um, uh, Cheryl's going to get a call from me as well. <laughs> I, I hope so because they're the best and they keep me so busy, which is why yeah. I don't have anything available till August for interviews. Uh, the other question is is that I do panel shows too. So if you do panel shows, let me know because I've got a whole bunch more planned. That you, that no one. I'm doing one in uh, May with four authors. We're talking about how they use their career in their writing. And uh, you, know, you never know what you never know what I'm going to come up with. And yesterday, like I said, I did it uh, honoring men and women in blue, and I interviewed uh, three detectives, and it was really eye-opening. But before we end, where can we find out about you more about you and your work? And I can't wait for Vic to come back. Seriously. Um, uh, well, probably the easiest place is my website, peterwjhayes.com, because uh, um, uh, I update that pretty regularly. And um, uh, so that's probably the easiest and quickest way. And then Level Best Books is my publisher. They, they, have, um, uh, they update my work there as well. So um, oh, nice. I'd, I'd probably just go to the website or find, or find me on Facebook. Or, um, that's another way. Uh, one last question. When you did the back cover of the book, do you decide it or did they? Uh, they designed that. They decide what to write on the back cover. I have to know these things because oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I, I've been writing no, the these... back cover of my books and I really don't want to do that. I want somebody that's professional to do it and make it sound like you can't yeah, put no, the book down. Yeah, the the blurb um, that are the, um, that is sort of the the sort of the two paragraphs that explains the um, the plot of the book. I wrote that. Yeah. As it turns out. Well, my review is on Just Reviews. Cheryl read it and said she wants to read the book, which is good. Good. Um, a lot of people have read my review. It's a, it's. A, I posted my review. I didn't mean to not post it on Monday. I posted it yesterday because we know why Fran was out of sorts on Tuesday. Um, I posted it, and I don't know how many people read it after I wrote it. And it's on Amazon, and people are reading it there, too. I'm very popular, Good. really, seriously. And I'm going to put it on Goodreads later because, for some reason, um, the couple of authors that have been, whose books have been getting like 20 or 30 people in a day that tell me they like what I wrote. So we'll just put it on Good. there so that everybody can tell you. I want to thank you so much. Seriously, I appreciate it. This is great. And... I can't wait to. Do you do panel shows, by the way? Yeah, no, I'm, I've done a number of I've done a number of panels at um, uh, different conferences. So always glad to do that. Oh, great! Well, everybody have a great day. And the one thing I say at the end of every show, one small ask: please, when you go outside, wear a mask. It's vital to everybody. So, yep. Peter, thank you so much. Everybody have a great day. Stay warm and bye. Okay. Oh, well, thank you.